0: Thank <laughs>
2: Welcome back to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes. It's Friday afternoon and on this afternoon's Axom Bulletin I am joined by Brian Degnan and Lloyd Patrick Jepson. Loads to talk about gentlemen. We're talking transfers, champions, league draws and of course the small matter of a Glasgow derby on Sunday. How are you feeling Brian about it? Yeah,
3: feeling, feeling good. Feeling a wee bit better than I, than I did last weekend if I'm honest. Um, but I, I think we'll dive into it later but no, I feel I'm feeling quite good. I think we're in a better place. Um, the Champions League draw reminded us of last season's achievements and how exciting that is. So it's all good on a Friday. Any fun sponges on a Friday?
2: It's all good, you know, because there's been a bit of doom and gloom, Lloyd, you know, around a, a couple of performances. In fact, I would say the performances all season, but a couple of results. There's been a bit of doom and gloom. Over the last couple of weeks But I think we're just kind of like Raising it at the right kind of point We spoke on Wednesday John and I Around And James Around uh, the fact that If Rangers get knocked out Of the Champions League they, Then we bring in a few players Then we've got the Champions League draw And then we can really look forward to Sunday It's kind of worked out like that Hasn't
1: it? Yeah It definitely has I, I think I actually said At the start of the week As well on the chat That this really could be a good week For us going into this game So It's turning out that way so far, so hopefully on Sunday it works out that way. It chops it, yeah, everything. Puts a big
2: cherry on top of the cake. Now, talking of cakes, it's getting to that time of the day, Brian, and at my age I can't have eaten cakes, but you never know what might happen at 1.30. But at 1 o'clock, if you've heard of the phenomenal Liverpool platform, the Anfield Wrap, we will have John Gibbons coming on to give us the lowdown on Nat Phillips. We might even ask him whether Andy Robertson still wears Celtic pyjamas, how Van Dijk is doing, doing there, and uh, were they surprised that Brendan Rodgers came back? Because back in the day, uh, Kevin and I met up with the guys in Glasgow, Brian, and we were talking all around Brendan Rodgers, you know, his time at Liverpool compared to the time at Celtic. This was kind of on the eve of leaving leaving uh, that February and it was a very, very interesting take. What, what do you think the, the stock is like at the moment in England for Brendan Rogers, Brian?
3: I think he's still pretty highly regarded. I think, um, you know, the football he played at Swansea got in the Liverpool job. I think he done reasonably well with Liverpool, to be fair. Um, I think only clocks bettered it um, in, in recent years. I think Leicester, he done well with until obviously last year wasn't great. Even when they finished eighth, to be fair, given the amount of money they spent on players and what they were up against, eighth finish wasn't bad for that team. And I think he finished fifth three times, got a European semi-final, won an FA Cup, so you know a pretty good record. Um, so I think he stocks still fairly high. It's also why I'm confident that things will work out this season because there's no way Brendan's came back here. To go back to England, a failure, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and so I think you know he's too. He's as fond of himself as he is of Celtic, and I think that's going to serve us in good stead.
2: Yeah, you know I totally get that because listen, some people call it um, the ego, but I just think that that Brendan, you know, everything he does is meticulous. You can see that in his interviews. You know, even when it's meant to be a, a quite laid back interview, like when he went and played a round of golf. Everything is meticulous. Every word that he chooses is very, you know, thoroughly thought out. Um, and I think that if he was to come to Celtic, it would be in his own mind with a view to then stepping either back into the English league after the three years is up, because he's staying for three years, remember, or he might step into the international kind of arena as well, uh, Lloyd. So looking forward to to speaking to the Anfield Wrap. Uh, John Gibbons at around one o'clock. He's going to be coming on. Um, and obviously, one of the guys he's going to be talking about is Nat Phillips. Um, it looks as though, so far this week, we're going to round up uh, a triple signing today. Uh, Nat Phillips, uh, Lewis Palmer, and Paulo Bernardo. You happy with that, Lloyd, or do you think we need a- another couple more?
1: I'm happy with it at the moment, but I would still like that left-back position covered, because I think that is where we're seriously lacking at the minute as well. So, if that kind of comes in today, then I think... That puts a better positive spin on things from what it has been. Obviously, we were all saying all summer, a goalkeeper. Some of us were saying a backup striker as well. But I think O's now fit again. So I think that will kind of cover that position for that. And obviously is there as well. But I, I do see that left-back position being the position we kind of really do need to go for now. I
2: mentioned this yesterday because I I thought that he was out for six weeks weeks originally um, and there were still a few weeks for him to go, Brian. But, yeah, back in training. And I think the argument would probably be that if we get up to January without strengthening in the centre-forward area, we could maybe look at it in January because, obviously, at that stage, there's a lot of international football. South Korean players, Japanese players could be missing from the squad and I think would be a bit thin then. But if we're looking at the positions... I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing them all, to be fair. Um, I think uh, Phillips and Palmer really, I find, quite exciting signings. Uh, Bernardo as well. But I think my frustration, and it might be the frustration of others, is with Paulo Bernardo, you're looking at him, you're thinking some real quality coming in from Benfica, different position. But you, you know there's going to be similar similarities talking about the deal with, that we had with Jota and, and things like that, Brian. But we have gone into the transfer market already and bought in two midfielders in um, you know Home and Quan, and I think sometimes that's the frustration. Why are we leaving it so late? You know, two days or forty-eight hours or twenty-four hours before the transfer window shuts, and then we bring in a loan. You know, when we've actually done a bit of business in that area of the park, and it's been two younger players who haven't really featured that much. I know that Home started a game. Quan's not been seen. He's he's been seen as much as Awata, um, um, so. I think that's maybe the frustration. Although I'll, I'll still be excited when it comes in, you almost think to yourself, "Why didn't we just get the the big, the, the main player in the door first and foremost?"
3: Yeah, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I suppose the caveat maybe, you know, with Phillips, it may be the case of looking for a permanent transfer. For you know, I think it's valued at twenty million or something like that. They couldn't get it, so we've come a loan deal at the end. Same with Bernardo. i imagine that's probably a similar idea. Um, And it may have been the case that, you know, injuries have prompted us. So, you know, we've we've got to go um, Lagerbeekl, or Big Shandy as Laura calls him, Big Rocky as well. Uh, We've already got them in. So I don't know if they went for another centre half, if it wasn't for the injuries. So I think that helped it, um, or affected it rather. And I think the the dip in form, because I was chatting to a few guys the other day, um, and they were saying you know we've got loads of wingers now but mm-hmm. I think actually if you, you look at it I think Mieda will, will move further up I think you have Parma Yang Abada Telio in his back for Invata floating or if he leaves Forest floating and I think if your three strikers will be O Meda Hugo is mm-hmm. I would imagine it you um, raise a good point about the midfield though because I still can't quite figure out how we're going to organise that midfield so if it's a a 4 two, three, one, with the two sitters and a number 10 then a guy like home or corn are ideal for that because you know McGregor a, a real traditional holding player like a home or a corn, and mm-hmm. then Bernardo and then Turnbull seven for him They you go well, where does Riley fit into that because he's not really a, a 6 or a 10 he's kind of box to box so are we going to go a 4 three, 3 and if so does that dynamic quite work and if if we're doing a four three three, then it means you've got McGregor, McCarthy, Iwata and Kwan off that one number six position. So there's still quite a lot of things I don't quite see how it's going to work out. I'm sure it will. I mean, Brendan's no stupid, as we've alluded to, but it'd be interesting to see what the real shape is because thus far I don't actually know where it is. Sometimes it looks like a four three three, sometimes a four two five one, 3 one And it's quite unusual. So I think in the fullness of
2: time, we'll get a better idea how that looks. That I think I share your concerns in relation to that because what we've got is is a situation, Lloyd. Where Callum McGregor's not started the season off brilliantly. We've been looking for all the reasons for that, and this is something. Sometimes people say, well, "Why are you being so negative?" We're not. It's quite clear. Callum McGregor's not playing well. What we try to do is see why isn't he playing well? Is there anything we can do to overcome that? And I, I've thrown a few ideas or theories into the mix. I think that he is being missed out a wee bit now that we've changed Joe Hart's position. So on the one hand, you're benefiting from Joe Hart not messing about at the back, Lloyd. But on the other hand, he is kind of missing out that area of the park that Callum McGregor was normally receiving the ball from, be that from the goalie or from the centre-halves. If he's been missed out, obviously then it's going to be difficult for him to retain possession, get involved in the game. And I think the other other reason uh, that I've raised, and this is something I'm going to be watching very closely on Sunday, is the two inverted fullbacks flooding that midfield, giving Callum a wee bit more freedom, a wee bit more space. But when you look at, let's say, Bernardo comes in, he's an attacking midfielder. He can't play the number six. He's, a, he's an attacking midfield player. We know O'Reilly has played the six. I would tend to agree with Brian. I don't think he's as effective there. He, we know he can play there. Um, so are we in a situation now then, Lloyd, where if you're looking at a makeup, let's say the three midfielders, um, Bernardo is your 10, uh, if we're going to break it up like this. With McGregor, you're six and O'Reilly you're eight.
1: Does that work? Hmm. It's a it's an interesting one because then where does Hatati also fit into that system as well? I know. You forget and, and, you forget about so Rio Hatati, you're you old. forget all about <laughs> Rio Hatati as well. So you, this is the thing with the midfield position. It seems like we've got quite a lot of central defensive midfielders, mm. but not enough attack midfielders now. And we're kinda unbalanced in that aspect where you've got Turnbull, O'Reilly can play the kind of attacking role, and then obviously if Bernardo comes in, he's a attacking midfielder as well. Hatati's kind of just he roams about in the middle of the park, which I think also creates more space for McGregor when he plays. So you're kind of missing that from the team at the minute as well. But it's I'm quite interested to see where this midfield is going to go, because as Brian also said, you're kind of not seeing the shape of midfield, cause sometimes it's in and out of possession, it can be the three along the way, or else it could be that two and that one sitting up top just to support Kyogo as well. So in time, you will kind of see what the best midfield is that we've got, but I don't think that we know that, even ourselves at the moment. I
2: don't think we do. That, that's part of the problem, isn't it? And um, hopefully we'll start seeing that shape developing in the weeks to come. In fact, let's be honest, it needs to develop by Sunday because that, that's going to be a battle that we're going to have to win. So when we look at that, if and when Bernardo comes in and give us a shout during the show. Obviously it may happen while we're on live. There's a thousand, over a thousand of you's watching live. Brilliant to have you joining us. If Bernardo joins, he's going to be the ninth signing in the pre-season. 10 if you include a Wata in that as well. So the ninth or 10th signing. Um, I mean, how many more Brian? Because it gets, sometimes gets to the point where you bring in so many players Uh, I'm not going to say it unsettles the side, but it takes a long time for for 10 players or 11 or 12 players to bed in. And you would expect of, let's say we do bring in another couple, of those 11 or 12 players, you would expect a few of them not really to feature or not to settle in. So, I mean, how many more can we bring in? I see there's there's some reports uh, of a a left-back, Ryan Bertrand. I'm I'm not sure how much truth there are in these rumours. 34-year-old last played with Leicester. Obviously, there's that link to Brendan Rodgers do you think we're bringing another left-back, Brian? I mean, it looks as though the goalkeeper's been Kai Bosch for now.
3: Yeah, I don't think we're we'll bringing a keeper. It looks like the keeper situation's staying as is. I do think we're we'll bringing a full-back because I think the right-back, we probably need cover as well. So it'd be good if we get someone that could maybe play both flanks. I think that'd be ideal just in case because, you know, Ralston has not covered himself in glory so far this season. So I think he's a serviceable player, especially for the SPFL, but... If Johnson gets injured, you've only got one right-back. Or if Taylor gets injured, you've only got right Burnaby. I think that's a concern. Um, so I do think we'll bring that in. And yeah, we have bringing a lot of players in, but we've also lost a lot of players. You now they make the fringe players, but they are leaving. And I think, as I said at the start, I think injuries has sort of exasperated the situation because, not exacerbated. sorry, it was the wrong word. I think that's, that's, force the issue with some of the transfers that we may not have bothered with also I think that the form it hasn't been great I think you know we mentioned Hattati have him being injured and being a key player in the midfield, you had to replace him whereas we probably wouldn't have if he was fully fit And maybe if Mieda or Abada started the season absolutely fine we might not wait for Palma to play shorter. so there's all these things I'm not sure about maybe that's why it's took a bit of time and and again, look, we've seen a lot of players when, when Posta called came in because we had to, and yeah. that worked quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people are kind of underwhelmed by the transfers, but I would always go back and ask people, well, how much did you know about Jota, O'Reilly, Hugo, Itati, Carter Vickers before these guys came in and absolutely smashed it? So I would urge a bit of patience, although I'll be the first one complaining if... It starts to go wrong in another few weeks.
2: I think the transfer window, uh, just the, the way that it's developed, Brian, whereby the players who you can see going into the first team, maybe not immediately, but they're, they're bought for that purpose of coming late. And the ones who are more for the future, developing them, they're in that age bracket, they're in that price bracket. They came in first. So I think it's, a, it's kind of been back to front. If it had gone the other way, would it have made any difference? Would we still be sitting here demanding transfers on the last day? Possibly. I'm not sure if you can please uh, everybody. I wrote a list, actually, uh, talking about those leaving. I wrote a list of 10 players who I thought could leave in the pre-season. I'm going to refresh that list, seeing how we're on the, this time of the transfer window. Scott Bain looks as though he's staying, but I would have uh, flogged him had I moved him on. Liam Scales, um, I still would, actually. But I think, uh, obviously, with regards to injuries, we'll probably hold on to him until January Osazi Urigidi, um, yeah, he's off isn't he? So he's gone. Stephen Welsh, uh, the 23-year-old, I said, had previously had interest from Hellas, Verona, Udinese and Toulouse, and he should move on to avoid further stagnation. Well, he was given a four-year deal. As Milo Soro has been involved in a couple of uh, negotiations with clubs, but as far as I know, that's not been confirmed yet, has it, Lloyd?
1: There was a- no, I've not seen anything confirmed.
2: Couple of clubs, one in Israel, and uh, I think there was one in France who were in for him. But yeah, I would move Sorrow on. James McCarthy's got to move on. Liam Shaw's away out on loan. I've got Turnbull in here as well. Um, still on the fence with that. Uh, Mikey Johnston, he's not going to get a move while he's, while he's injured, although he's back in training, I think. And I'll be in a Yeti. Uh, and it looks as though we're going to be losing £4.5 million plus wages on that deal. And he's off-skate to. Turkey. Uh, what's the audience got to say then? Michael the boy comes in. Good afternoon, guys. It is a good afternoon. We seem a lot more positive today. I like it. And uh, David, boy, Macaulay, hail, hail. We've also got Michael coming back and definitely got a chance in our group. We're going to be speaking about the Champions League group in a wee second or two. Uh, definitely, if the new signings work out well, we could have a great season. It's interesting how these things just sway from side to side. The pendulum swinging from side to side. Positive, negative it all comes down to one result uh, at times. Michael, the boy, again, you're busy. Paulo Bernardo does as well as Jota. That will do for me. And then we've got Barry O'Sullivan.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore dealmaking across sports, media, and entertainment.
2: That
0: is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big
0: names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
3: many more doors. The show is called The The Deal.
0: deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: He brings in something that I just know Lloyd will be what to talk about. Ordered the new Celtic uh, 120-year jersey. Had to wait 45 minutes at 8.30 this morning as there were 9,000 people ahead of me. Wow, looks like a beautiful jersey. Uh, That's 9,000 people, despite all the fakes that have been kicking about as well, all the fugazis that have been kicking about online, yet very, very busy. I was looking at the um, WhatsApp group, the fugazi. I was looking at WhatsApp group, uh, Brian, I knew that would appeal to you. And uh, everybody's telling me, oh, they're in a queue. I actually visualised them in the Celtic Superstore, in a queue with one of the wee tokens you used to get at the butchers, you know, where it told you you were next in line. And then it occurred to me, everybody's sitting on their iPads. I really need to get with the, get down with the kids. Um, but it does lead us on to the jersey. We'll, we'll go, we'll take a sidestep to the jersey, and then we'll come back to the Champions League, by which time John Gibbons of the Anfield Rap can come in and fill us in on some of the the, the Liverpool connections that we currently have. And... Um, both down at Liverpool and up here at Celtic. So I know you're a big fan of the the merchandise, uh, Lloyds. You're sitting there with another top. I I don't know if you ban your missus for watching Axon so that she can't see that you bought all 14 ranges that have been released this pre-season. But yeah, the 120 years of the hoops, phenomenal. I want the Celtic strip to look like that every season, personally. I know it's not going to happen, but it is beautiful. I'm going to ask you the question, were you in that queue?
1: I was in that queue. It's just perfect, as the caption, quite rightly, the club said, it is the perfect hoops. It's the way it should always be, rather than that home shirt we got this season. And the one thing that stands out is the white star on the
2: green hoop, and um, mm-hmm. that's deliberate as well. That will lead us into the Champions League chat. Um, I- I've said on here before, I- I've started buying the goalie tops for the wee fella, Brian, because a long sleeve, and they're not as, you know, much seen as as the first, the second, the third, and now the fourth. This is the second season we've released four jerseys. Uh, last year it was the uh, I think we, re- we released one around Saint Patrick's Day, didn't we? It was the kind of Irish heritage jersey. This time it's the hoops jersey. Are we going to be looking for a reason to release a fourth jersey every year now? Is this going to become the norm, Brian?
3: Looks like it, doesn't it? Um, I think it's possibly an Adidas decision as much as a yeah. club decision because I think and maybe I'm only saying this, I'm sure we'll get corrected if I'm, but the, um, I think we're one of the biggest selling jerseys for Adidas, including training gear, mm. you know, globally. So it's a massive, massive branding opportunity for them. And look, we all complain about the price of jerseys, we all complain about the number of kits, but there's a good chance I'm going to buy this fourth one because it is a belter. I mean, it's an absolute blinder. There's no drying it. Um, and actually last season's fourth kit was also the best. And yeah. last season, I think, I've mm-hmm. an absolute cracker as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, I, I I think the price of kits is terrible for families. I think you know, someone won't buy their kids, you know, the full jerseys for going to games and stuff. It's it's an insane amount of money in, in the current climate. But again, I'll be a hypocrite and say I'll probably probably buy this one because it is particularly good. But I'm not going to hammer the club too much because I think it's probably Adidas as much as anyone. So the same. Well, look, let's melt this because remember as well as the, the four kits last season, they also had the sort of icon That's right. Adidas, Adidas kits as well in, in tracksuits and stuff. And uh, I know a, a few guys for the, the, the Swindon Shamrocks are demoing and they are actually they're really good as well. So I, I, I'm not going to harm the club too much, um, but it is a, an absolutely beautiful kit. Really good.
2: The thing is, I'm sitting here, right, uh, on my high horse and everything, Brian, but see the minute they release the the kit that looks like the Netherlands 1988 kit or the West Germany one. Um, Yeah, I'll just buy it. So I'll be a complete hypocrite. But it does lead us on because even the older jerseys are holding their value, are going up in value, replica kits. Despite all of that, we put out a shout to the Celtic support to give us your jerseys because we're going to sell the jerseys. That's a new initiative. We're raising cash for wee Jamie Tierney, who has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a condition I knew nothing about until I spoke to his dad uh, a few months ago. And uh, the response that we've had has been unbelievable, sensational. We've got about 70 jerseys once they all start coming in. We're trying to get 100. Some of them are framed. Some of them are already signed. But basically, by the time we're ready to, to auction or raffle them out, they'll all be framed and signed, all these jerseys. The one that was handed in, yet, in fact, two were handed in yesterday. One of them's framed. It's a match-worn jersey from Tommy Bonzi's team, fully signed, framed. Beautiful thing. Absolutely stunning. So thank you everybody for getting involved. If you want to read more about Jamie's journey, then the link is underneath this page. If you want to get involved and send us jerseys of all sizes and descriptions, feel free. You can DM us on the social media pages. Um, There was a wee bit of a backlog, but I'm catching up on the Facebook. Or you can email me at Dykes at gmail.com. If I haven't got back to you, I definitely will. So just a wee backlog from time to time. But that's a good thing because that shows that there's been a lot of response. So thank you all for getting involved in that in about 10 minutes time we'll be talking to John Gibbons from the Anfield Drap he'll be giving us he'll be filling us in about Nat Phillips and we'll be talking to him about our old uh, friends Van Dyke and all the guys down at Liverpool as well talking of old friends the Champions League draw was made yesterday and James threw a bit of a spanner because I thought this was a great idea he wanted to get um, Porto and and Feyenoord so that we could avenge our European final defeats uh, we didn't get the on, but we did get Feyenoord as well, obviously, as Atletico Madrid. So it's an interesting draw, Lloyd, because I, I, the way I look at it is Feyenoord, I, I, I view Feyenoord as our friends, even though they beat us in 1970. Um, you look at the connections we've got in terms of Wim Jansen, Henrik Larson, obviously you've still got guys like Bobby Petter, Reggie Blinker, there's a few others that maybe others... Oh, aye. Big Mm -hmm. Pierre. Van Hooydonk as well. Uh, So, good links. And also, we met up with a Feyenoord fan called Ellen Mannins. Check it out. The video's on the YouTube channel. And we spoke about the type of club that Feyenoord were and are. And they're the anti-establishment club. They hate Ajax. And so we've got a lot more in common uh, than I actually maybe have considered. And I got a wee message yesterday from Ellen saying, see you in Rotterdam. So uh, James and I are now planning a wander around Rotterdam. So looking forward to that as well. Um, So I look upon that as meeting up with some old friends in Feyenoord. And then you've got a Madrid Lloyd, and you're thinking 1974, Um, and then you've got Lazio, and I don't think we made many friends by pumping them 2-1 home and away a few years ago. What did you make of the draw, Lloyd?
1: Yeah, well, I was kind of nervous the minute Celtic's name came out, and there was quite a lot of groups still available, and I thought, please not Group H, because I'm fed up playing Barcelona, as always, so the minute we get put into Group E with Feyenoord and Lazio and Atletico Madrid, I was quite happy with it. They will be tough games, but they're also games to enjoy, and you know, also maybe at home we can take something from all these teams.
2: You look at it, you think to yourself, "You're right." I mean, the the quality there, of course it is. Mm-hmm. But we were trying to James and I were trying to figure out a route how to negotiate these groups, Brian. You know, and it wasn't about glamorize. Like Lloyd says, I mean, you you feel a wee bit entitled to. So I'm sick of playing Barcelona and Real Madrid, but you know, it, it isn't about the glamorize. It's about negotiating the group, getting beyond the six games. Um, sitting here, Celtic actually aren't in good form at the moment, right? So people might point that out. We've been banging on about it every day for the last two weeks. Um, but obviously, new arrivals coming in, the game plan hopefully starting to bed in, people coming back from injury. You then start to get your flow. Um, you look at the fixtures, Brian. What's your thoughts? Do you think we can negotiate this this group?
3: Yeah, I, I think so. Um so just on the glamorised thing so I, I've said before I think that sometimes we can get a bit obsessed with the, the name or the history of a club or the, the the sort of the high profile because sometimes the clubs are in great form sometimes the other clubs that maybe don't expect like an Anathalie for example who have been absolutely brilliant the past year or so if you looked at them a few years ago you'd have said oh I need problems problem taking Anathalie they've battered us so it's, it's not necessarily the size of the club like if we get Man United this year I'd have been quite happy with it whereas a couple of years ago you go Man United don't want them so I think sometimes we we can fool ourselves a wee bit into thinking well you know a a big team as such um, this will be a bit easier Um, and I don't think that's always the case however this time I think we've got a good chance I think finishing third should be a realistic target I think the last 16 you know is going to be very difficult for us not yet you know not um, in the future sorry but I think Europa League should be our aim. And I think that could be achievable. I think, um, you know, the final games will be really good. Lazio is always spicy. And I think Madrid is, is this the big one. So we'll see how it goes. I'm always confident with these things um, until the game starts and then I'm going But I think that it's a, a decent draw. We could have got Group F, PSG, Dortmund and Milan. I know. I was actually convinced when I saw that group coming up. I went, "Oh, hundred percent, that's us." Hundred.
2: The thing is, Brian, we'd be sitting here today saying, "You know, I think we might get a point in this game. We might do that. You know, we'd still be positive about I'm it."
3: Right? <laughs> I still have us winning the Champions League when it starts. That's why I don't do post matches or pre matches. <laughs> too excited too, kind of the in it. Obviously, back to bite me, but no, I think I could draw. I think just being in the Champions League and in, in that exposure and you know being consistent with that again you know, in it for the second year in a row, and if we can do something, get a few points on the board at the Europa League, get a knockout tie one, I think that would be an excellent European season for us this season, if we're being realistic about it. Mm-hmm. I think the last 16 would be the dream. Um, I think, you know, getting into the group, Europa League group stage, uh, sorry, last 16 feeling failing, would be you no know, brilliant. Finishing the group bottom would be a bit of a disaster, I think, because we need to be better than we were last year not just performance, because you were good, we're very really points in the board, we need to be more clinical and take our chances. So we need to do better than last year. And for me, that's finishing the third.
2: And of course, the tournament's going to change uh, next season as well. Uh, James McKenzie was up at Celtic Park watching the draw live. He then got an opportunity to be involved in a press conference with uh, Lager Bielk and also uh, with Palmer as well. We're going to have those on our channels at some point today. Um, And then he nipped up to see the Celtic story uh, up at the Armadillo as well, which is, uh, it was great to see pictures of Fergus McCann there. And of course, uh, Fergus was delighted to meet Declan McConville-Lloyd as well. And uh, the Celtic story is running for uh, quite a few weeks, actually, and we're going to be giving away, as of next week, we're going to start giving away uh, to competition when there's a pair of tickets, probably on a daily basis, um, to get, go up to the show as well. And we'll be covering that in a wee bit more uh, detail. You, you were talking earlier about Atletico Madrid, 1974. I always remember, um, you know, David Hay. I spoke to David Hay uh, because he was one of the guys that was involved in the fracas out, the tunnel, at Celtic Park, where they had three guys sent off. We then go over to uh, play them away we a 0-0 zero, zero draw. Bear in mind, this was a European Cup semi-final. Uh, 1974, there were death threats to uh, Jimmy Johnston and Jock Steen. And I remember a funny story. Bobby Lennox, actually, who turned 80 the other day, told me the story that uh, they were in the room. Bobby and Jimmy used to room together. So they're over in the away leg and they're in the room. And Jimmy's had a, a death threat. And uh, Bobby Lennox, you know, Jimmy goes into the room and he's, he's, he's shutting the curtains and all this kind of stuff. And Bobby's going, what are you doing? And he's saying, there's maybe a sniper out there. There's maybe a sniper out there going to take me out before the second leg. And there was a bowl of fruit sitting on the table and he's away to eat the apple. And Bobby goes, listen, it might not be a sniper. They might have poisoned that apple. You know, And we jinky. It was scared to eat his dinner and everything. Brilliant. But it just shows you what we were up against. And then David Hay says, whatever happened in that tunnel stays in the tunnel. He wouldn't tell you the story, but apparently... Um He gave a few of them a few wee right hooks in that as well, but yeah, I mean, can we can we get through the group, Lloyd? That's a big one. What do you think?
1: I, I would like to say yeah, but I, I'll just I'll go with try getting third first before anything else, and then we'll just. It also depends the way the fixture list comes out for it. I think if we get either Fine or Order Lazio at home first, then we could be looking not too bad. It, I would rather the home game first rather than going away and obviously not picking up any points.
2: Yeah, you planning on doing any of the away days?
1: Or are you not told like, the message yet? i have probably not told the message <laughs> yet, but I think that might be out of the bag now. So thanks for that, Paul.
2: <laughs> Listen, I know because your good lady was with you on Friday night and I just said, this guy is dedicated to Celtic okay? to such a degree. The last gig that you brought your your wife to, you just left her in the corner and you were just mingling. And she was like, I'm used to it, it's fine. Um, Diaz, 88, good opportunity for us to get out of the group if Rodgers gets the team playing well. There's so many moving parts to this. I, I think that we've just not got going yet. Injuries, new signings coming in, plenty of bodies getting out, as Brian pointed out, we'll be talking about some of them as well. Um, and then we can see the true kind of uh, rhythm of this this side, I'm, I'm sure. Big shout out to Paddy Lavery afternoon all as well. Always a pleasure to see you, Paddy. Hopefully we get a left-back and a striker in today, especially for Europe, says Michael the Boy. But there's also a suggestion here from uh, Powerman1988. Vata's been converted to a backup striker. There was obviously a bid. I think it was Nottingham Forest made a bid for for Rocco Vata, um, just as players like Haxabanovich is due to leave for Stoke. Yeti is on his way to Turkey. We do need to offload players, but I mean, that 10, the list of 10 that I said at the beginning, it's so... Quick to change, Brian. I mean, I didn't have Ak on that list. He'd be on the list now. Uh, obviously, Stephen Welsh isn't on the list because he's staying. Turnbull, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about, about Turnbull's future. Um, there's most of them. I, I still agree with. I still think we're, we we need to have a stronger backup goalie. For example, uh, Soro has to leave the football club. And you know, Ak demise has been swift, hasn't it?
3: It has indeed, We action Manovic I'm disappointed in him. Um, I thought he'd be, I thought actually under Brendan he would have been good as a 10. If we're going to do that 4-2-3-1, I thought he'd have fitted that real well because for me he's not a winger but what he's shown is with his wee social media post and his wee passive aggressive rant is that he's no fit to wear the jersey in which case he can he can go with um, I'm sure a few choice words for some of the players that do care about the club and I just think when you get guys like your squad that you know, there's two scenarios there. Either he spoke to Brendan Rodgers. he's not been happy with the answer, and he's put on to social media, he got himself excited, in which case I don't want him there. Or he's not bothered speaking to Brendan Rogers, went straight to social media, in which case I don't want him there. So, you know, he can go and end it, you know, isn't he Kane can go with him, as far as I'm concerned. Celtic are a bigger proposition than any club, any player, any manager for me. And if the players don't want to be there, then they're more than welcome to go.
2: Yeah, farewell Uh John Gibbons is due to come on and speak to us about some of our Liverpool connections but mainly Nat Phillips and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the show. John, how are you? It's been a oh,
0: while. Yeah, it has been a while mate, I'm good, thanks for having me on.
2: No, it's a pleasure. And I can see that you've uh, been prepared coming on with your green and white top on as well. <laughs> that, that's appreciated. Um, yeah, I mean, the news that Nat Phillips wasn't in the mix during this pre-season, really. It's, obviously, we've had this injury crisis, John, uh, to the point where one one moment we've, we're, we're top-heavy, with centre-halves, next moment we're down to the bare bones. And we were talking on Axom over the last couple of weeks about how do you deal with this? Do you bring in a, a free agent? Do you bring in a loan to buy? And I think that the the ideal way to deal with it is to bring in a player like uh, Nathaniel Phillips. Tell us a, give us a wee bit of a lowdown on the player.
0: Yeah, he's, he's had a really interesting career because he came to Liverpool, you know, a little bit under the radar. He was at Bolton and Bolton got rid of their academy, were in real financial trouble and he was actually going to go over to America. Uh, on a scholarship and, and go to university there. This is you know a few years ago now. And then and then Liverpool jumped in and he was like, well, you know, South University. I'm going to go 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 there. And as as you would. And so he sort of came in there. And and the feeling was, you know, because of, he, he'd come from Bolton in the circumstances that he was just a little bit there to you know to make up the numbers and to to, to help put, put put teams out. Uh, but then he did you know better and better in academy football and and ended up getting his chance and and when he's been in the team he's, he's he's not let anyone down and he's always come in under slightly sort of strange circumstances when he's when he's had to play there was um, obviously a couple of seasons ago which is well documented we had our own uh, defensive crisis and and he ends up playing a lot towards the end of the season and being part of that team that looked dead and buried and, and somehow managed to get top four and there was you know one particular game which is quite famous for Liverpool supporters now where we go to Old Trafford and it's it's him and Rhys Williams at, at centre-half and, and, and they win that day and, and it really sort of helped catapult us for the, for the rest of the season um, but there's another one a, a year or so before uh, where we'd actually loaned him out to Germany got out to to, to Frankfurt I think it was or St- sorry Stuttgart uh, he got out on loan and, and was um, was doing sort of okay but but not necessarily playing as much as he'd like to for a loan and then we had again a bit of a defensive crisis and, and brought him back and he and he landed on on Friday and was was in the team on Saturday to play against Everton in the FA Cup and got a clean sheet we won 1-0 it was a Curtis Jones belter and that that sort of sums him up really in that he's 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 not had the Liverpool career that necessarily he would have liked to but you know, when, come if the hour, come of the man, when we needed to throw him in and nothing phases him, is what mm. I would say, you know, a lot of players would you know, be, be thrown into these situations and, and, and worry about them, but his his temperament is is unbelievable. As I say, one minute he could be in Germany um, you know, kicking his heels you know, wishing he was playing more and the next he could be playing at Anfield in a, in a, in a cup tie against Everton and, and keeping a clean sheet and, and winning and I think that how he's able to sort of cope with, with with unusual situations and and you know and thrive is is a real sort of testament to him. And in that twenty one twenty two season where he played towards the end, we do our own player of the year um, comp, um, sort of vote every every season and. Um, it's slightly different. We call it the embodiment of Liverpool, and it's really to 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 say, well, which player that season really embodies what a Liverpool player should be, and and our listeners and our viewers voted to for that in that season, which just shows the impact that he had, and and you know the, the cult hero status he, he got a little bit. So I think he'll he'll love this move. I think he'll really relish it. But uh, you know, from a from a temperament point of view, and being able to cope with sort of what's thrown at him. Uh, in the Champions League as well as league, um, I, I don't think there's anything to worry about whatsoever. Another one of his big famous performances comes at the San Siro where he does Ibrahimovic with a curve turn. And if you've not seen that yet, uh, go onto our social media because we've, we've posted it again this morning. And you know he, he again Liverpool won that night and, and he played really well and. So I, I I think it's a, it's a great move for him. I'm delighted for him. Obviously, I'm I'm fond of of your club, and so it's 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 a nice one, you know, for for a lot of us Liverpool supporters who feel the same. But I think I don't think you'll let anyone down. I don't think you'll let you down. And I think you know if you are in a bit of a sort of crisis, that's where he seems to thrive. To be honest with you, because that's where he keeps getting thrown in at Liverpool.
2: I love hearing that, guys, because we are in a crisis and we've got the small matter of a game against Rangers on Sunday, Brian. Brian, does that concern you, you know, throwing a, a new defender into the mix for a game like that?
3: No, I don't think so. Um, as we've just heard, Derry's attitude clearly top-drawer and you would expect that. I mean, to be fair, he's, he's played in the EPL, he's played in the Bundesliga. You're playing against top-class players, you know, all the time. And he's able to go in there and perform well even when he's not been playing. So that's that's great to hear. Um, John, just one of the things that has been levelled at Celtic, especially last year, and something that I think people wanted to address was the lack of physicality in the team. Now, Brendan Rodgers has sort of bought players that sort are of five foot ten and above. And that looks like, you know, a, a big unit. What's he like as a player? Is he that sort of physical centre-back that likes a challenge, that likes to win balls near, Or is he more... Sort of a bit more, sort of cultured with the ball, and the, the sort of more modern centre back. Because I think we're all crying out for that old school sort of sort of smashing centre back. So where does he fit, fit into that?
0: Yeah, if that's what you're after, you're gonna love him. Honestly, he is old school. He is a throwback, and it is funny, you know. When he's in in, in this squad, you know we've got, you know, a a, a squad of a lot of superstars, really, and not necessarily performing, you know, all the time like we want them to. But he is almost a throwback within within this squad, and I think that's partly why he was he was so popular and and got the award that I mentioned that that he did because I think I think all of us, you know, still still crave for a little bit of that, you know. and, And the academy system produces you know, these defenders and um, I don't know, being good at defending seems to be fourth or fifth on, on the list now and I would say he's a better footballer than he's given credit for. I don't, I think he can pass it. Um I think, Fine. Listen, he's not Virgil Van Dyke, do you know? What I mean? you guys will, will know as well as us. You know, he's not going to hit these raking 60 sixty-yard balls, but his passing's fine. He's 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 a, he's a decent enough footballer, and you know, if you just want him to, to give it to his full-back or his defensive midfield, that uh, you know, he's comfortable uh, on the ball. Uh, his issues probably a little bit more around pace, and you'll find like you maybe feel a little bit more comfortable defended a little bit deeper than than what Celtic, you know, um, would. would would probably, I would imagine, want to. I think that was always the feeling with, you know, Liverpool. Maybe why he would not make it at the, at the very highest level was was a pace thing. But in terms of defenders who win the battles, you know, there was, you know, eerily, especially he'll just win absolutely everything in his positioning and and. You know his strength is is a real asset, and so so in the air he's he's almost like a magnet for the ball as well he just always saw so to, to to be here there when we win the team and we were looking at his stats, you know he was winning twice as many headers as as even people like Virgil and canate and things, people like that who were who who were you know who, who were big guys as well and so he just loves defending, and and that's really refreshing, isn't it? For for ever centre half on there, and and he just loves his battles. And I remember there was, <laughs> you know, as I say, when he was developing this Callihera state, Callihera states, a couple of years ago at Liverpool, he he did an interview with, um, with one of these sort of online, you know, football accounts, and he was talking to them, and they were showing him the the, the funny tweets and stuff like that, and and one of them was. Um, Nat Phillips would shove his own nan out the way to win a header, and he was shown it. And he was like, "And he was like what do you? He what do you think about that?'" He went, "Yeah, I probably would." Like, do you know what I mean? He was like, "Sorry, nan, if you're watching, but like that, and, that, and that's how how is you know." So he was all over it. He was like, "So that is a compliment." <laughs> you know what I mean? He was, and he's, and he's that kind of guy, and so you know, throw him in is what I'd say. Enjoy him, enjoy his sort of style. You know, you're not getting Beckenbauer, you know, but, but you are getting someone who's who's fully committed, who's who, who's who loves to defend, loves to win. And as I say, copes really well with, with unusual situations.
2: You know, from everything that John said, Lloyd, um, I mean, it can't happen right now. We're a couple of months to go before we bring in Carter Vickers, but I'm thinking of that partnership, even though we've brought in Lagerbjelk and Nowroski, Already this preseason, I'm, I'm visualising uh, Phillips and Carter Vickers because I think that that's what we've been crying out for. Staff was particularly good at that, wasn't he, Lloyd? You know, winning the headers, winning the tackles. And I think that if uh, Phillips brings that to this side, we could have a right good partnership over the next few months.
1: Yeah, we definitely could do. I, I think um, the way it's looking now, obviously, once everyone's back fit, I think Phillips and Carter Vickers will be maybe the main centre half pairing way this season will be going, but obviously John just mentions he's not blessed with pace, where obviously Staffelt did have a bit more pace, so would maybe that change Carter Vickers game up a little bit? Who knows, but on Phillips, obviously the deal's been reviewed in January as well, I believe. So yeah. what kind of would the chances be maybe of Celtic extending that load? maybe to beyond the summer or maybe getting an obligation to buy and that deal as well?
0: Yeah, I think for me, from Liverpool's point of view, I think that January thing will be in because because they, I think they do want to sell him. Ultimately, I think mm-hmm. he's 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 someone who's probably reached the end of his of his you know Liverpool career, and I think you know he's had a couple of loans out and things like that. And I think you know ideally they'd have sold him this summer, but the offer hasn't necessarily come in of something that they'd they'd want to accept. And so, I, from Liverpool's point of view, I'd imagine that January thing is in there. With the idea of look, if he goes well and you like him, we'd we'd, we'd quite like to, to 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 sort of cash in now, really, and, uh, and move on. You know, you don't want endless loans for a player, and the player doesn't either because he deserves to find his next home and, and what a home Celtic Park will be, what a place to to play football, and how fortunate he'd be if if, if this can't happen. And so, I think from Liverpool's point of view, it's probably as 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 much that, and obviously for Celtic, it's it's good for them as well because they can have a proper look at the player and, and decide, you know, if he's right for you guys moving forward. Forward. But I would imagine that Liverpool will have that January thing with the eye on. Well, that's when the transfer window opens. And, and ideally for us, we'd, we, we, we'd make a few quid from him and all move on.
2: Yeah, I think the last time we spoke, John, you were up in Glasgow. We went up to Celtic Park and uh, you were making a documentary, I think, on Virgil van Dijk for the Anfield Rap. So we had a chat, Kevin Graham and I had a chat with yourself uh, and a couple of your, your colleagues about King Kenny, Virgil Van Dyke. We're talking about links between Liverpool and Celtic, um, and I, obviously everybody loves Van Dyke up here. You know, he's not one of these guys that left with you know a bad taste. And if we knew almost immediately we were going to lose this player, you know, someone was going to come in and it was going to be a big money move and all this kind of stuff. And just on Friday night, uh, Lloyd and I had the opportunity to talk to an ex-Celtic player, in Charlie Mulgrew. And one of the questions was. Big Virgil, when did you realise he was a bit special? He says, you know, day one of <laughs> pre-season. And he used to do this thing, John, apparently, where he would he would have the ball but start laughing at somebody trying to take the ball off them. So he would actually find it so easy, he would be laughing at his teammate trying to take the ball off him. Um, how's, how's the big fella doing down there?
0: Yeah, well, obviously he got got sent off the other day, which was a a sort of a slightly unusual one, wasn't it? I mean, he didn't agree with it. You can sort of see that, you know, on the pitch. And so he'll be a big loss for us Um, this this, this Sunday when we've got Aston Villa at home and and that's sort of a little bit of a shame. I think the general feeling was that last year probably wasn't one of his best. I mean, he was playing in a bit of a dysfunctional team and... um, and and we were having to do sort of a, a lot more defending, and and I think the, the the general feeling was that that you know the, the midfield had sort of lost its legs, and so they were they were teams were running through us, and the defenders were were, were were getting a bit exposed, especially how we play with those fullbacks, you know, really sort of bombing on. And so I think he had a tough time, you know, with his own form, and and but also with with how the team was functioning. But he got the captaincy this summer, and I think. That, that looks like it's really rejuvenated him. I think he's he obviously sees himself as a leader, and I think you know getting that captaincy is a, a, is a big deal for him. And and he looked like he'd sort of gone up another level, sort of from having that responsibility. So a little bit of a shame that, that we now lose him for the game, or maybe two, if the FA have their way. But I mean, Virgil's just been a colossus for us. I think we've we've signed some really good players over the last five six years who've helped propel us but I think if you speak to most Liverpool fans and say who's the single player who's who's made the biggest difference they would say Virgil and, and listen it's some list you're talking about guys like Mo Salah, Alisson you know even Fabinho where, when he sort of came in you know uh, there's been a lot of good signings who've helped us make us make a jump but I think Virgil was the one who who turned us from a, a top four team to a to a championship winning team and he, he he was. It is it is that good for us. So, and you know, we'll always be delighted that that he that he picked Liverpool because, as I say, you know, of all the signings that have come in, he's he's the one, and he's Jürgen's favourite uh, as well. The others all tease him uh, for that. Uh, I would say he's the he's he's the manager's favourite, which again is is it bad is it. No, I know, I know. And I, I noticed that there was a, a social media post from Andy
2: Robertson as well, wishing Nat Phillips all the best. We all know, obviously, the, the story of, of Robertson, you know, being a young kid at Celtic, being allowed to leave, going and making his his name at Queen's Park, Dundee United, Hull, and then he comes to love it. but It's a great story, John. I mean, up here, he's kind of like held aloft as a shining example of any young kid coming through, maybe takes a knock this is what you can achieve, you can win a Champions League, look at Andy Robertson but we do know or we get this sense that at some point, maybe when he's 34, he's going to come up to Celtic Park and play for us as well um, but I mean, what I found most bizarre was that fracas with the referee, with the referees giving him one, uh, bizarre
0: isn't it? It is strange and um, what's what's annoying about the whole thing is that Liverpool seemed to like give them a bit of a walkover on it and could have made a big, big um, you know example of it really, but but decided to you know to to, to be you know the uh, the bigger man if you like, or to be sort of sound of it and not make a big deal out of it really. And I think that was seen at the time as us trying to not necessarily curry favour, but like be like, well, you know, when remember when we did that, we could have done a thing, and and and, and the idea of being around, you know, I guess positive relations. <laughs> it doesn't seem to have done us any good, you know, to be honest with you, because as I say at the moment, like, you know, Virgil's looking looking to try and extend his his ban because of of something he said to the referee. And so I think, you know, he's he's one that assistant refuge. You- who seems to have a, a, a bit of an issue with Liverpool, and we've all got them as, as fans. Have we refs who you think are good, and refs you've, you think are dodgy? Then there's there's always one or two where you're like, he seems to have a, a real real sort of problem, you know, with us. What what is it? I don't know. Maybe Liverpool battered his team when when he was a kid, or or, or whatever it was. I don't know, but he seems to be one that linesman who. I don't know. it doesn't seem particularly fond of Liverpool, and yeah, for those of us who would who would rather you know, stick it to these people, we were a bit frustrated that that Liverpool didn't push more on it, and we decided to to play a bit of a political game instead, which doesn't necessarily seem to have have worked. When you see like you know, as I say, some of the decisions since, but yeah, I've I've, I've never seen anything like it um, on the pitch, and and um, you know, don't don't think, think it could be a while till we see anything similar it's bizarre we, we, you feel feel your Jordan, deep, uh, we feel your
3: pain we feel your pain we get referees that don't want to us so yeah.
2: understand your pain I don't know John have you seen we're going to be discussing in a few minutes the Alan Stubbs uh, comments yesterday I don't know if you've seen them but check them out seek them out about a game where, where he's playing for Celtic against Rangers and there's a referee incident very interesting indeed but there is one final figure I want to talk to you about and I did speak to you when we met up at the uh, remember the 6th aside tournament up in Glasgow that's right um, thankfully John and I weren't playing guys we were actually just <laughs> talking to people and filming and um, it was just kind of like on the easy Rogers leaving Celtic and we were talking about the transfer the recruitment record that you had at Liverpool compared to uh, how it's gone up here were you surprised that he returned to Celtic
0: I was actually yeah I was because I felt like you know just because the kind of character he is really whether that he'd, he'd, he'd failed that that was a bit of a you know, a, a backward step in terms of, you know, well, he's done that now, do you know what I mean? And so, he's a funny fella, Brendan. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of quite fond of him, but, I mean, I think he's even fonder of himself than, than I than I am. And so, I think <laughs> it is fair to say. So, as I say, so I say this to someone who, who thought he did a good job at Liverpool up until he didn't and, and sort of quite likes him. But with the, with the, I guess, the ego that he has, I was a little bit surprised that, that he, he, he would take what I'd have thought he'd see in his head as a, as a backward step. But maybe, I don't know, maybe I've he, gathered he's got a very nice house and stuff like that. So maybe, you know, he, and he, and he really liked living there. So maybe there's a little bit of part of that. But yeah, I, I don't know what to say apart from the fact that yeah, I was I was a bit surprised that that he that he went back and and chose to sort of, you know, to 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 do it again because it sort of feels a little bit like well, what else can you sort of prove, you know, because you'll have to go some to do as well as he did last time because it was a obviously incredible successful period, you know, even in your recent history, which has largely been league titles, and so yeah, a, a little bit, but hey, see how it goes. Oh, definitely. Listen.
2: John, it's always an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Uh, The Anfield Wrap, massive inspiration to what we do at a Celtic state of mind. Anybody in there who might have a Liverpool state of mind, check the guys out on the socials and on the YouTube channel. Uh, Some of the work you do is phenomenal. Good luck for the rest of the season. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, John. Thank you for your time. Cheers, boys. Enjoy. Take care, pal. Thank you. An absolute pleasure. It's great to get that insight into one of our new signings as well, lads. Uh, But it does lead us on to the Alan Stubbs chat. Brian? I just posted it out. Is anybody surprised? Because, listen, we get called the paranoid and we get called all these things. And I've mentioned before uh, around a book that I, th- I would recommend to every single Celtic fan to read. It's called Celtic Paranoia. Is it all in the mind? It's, it's by Tom Campbell, who, for me, um, is and always will be the best Celtic author Uh, in terms of not the research, it's it's the the style of writing, Brian. He's just a brilliant writer. He's phenomenal. And he goes through all the different things that we know of, and he looks at all the different incidents that we know of, and he tries to weigh it up. And uh, I then get sent for Stephen Mullen, um, who is well-known on A Celtic State of Mind, last night saying, Paul, have you seen this? This uh, video footage of Stubbsy in a random scenario where he's not even talking about Celtic and he drops in this example, Brian, of playing in a game against Rangers where we've had a a, a certain penalty denied and a lot of people are, are thinking it's maybe the Mahe against Kaczynski's incident, which was a stonewall penalty kick. Uh, and, and the referee, uh, when running alongside Stubbs, and says you will never get a, a penalty whilst I'm refereeing in a game of football. Um, were you surprised? What do you make of it, Brian?
3: Yeah, I'm not surprised to be honest. Uh, you know, it's something that I think we've all sort of known, particularly historically. There was always that. I mean, uh, one that always sticks in my mind is Hugh Dallas when he was caught sending all the, the emails with jokes about the Pope and jokes about Catholics. Run about, and it was brushed over by the BBC as I want to do. Um, my, my only complaint about the clip is why it waited 20 odd years to, to see it. You know, name is shame. The F. Let's hear other stories about this. There's clearly more examples of it. So, I, I, you know, no offence against the big man, I'm glad he came out with it, but, you know, he could have done it a lot sooner. I think these things need to be called out when they happen, um, even if it's a few years later, the 20-odd years ago. Is it, you know, he's telling us stuff we already know, but it'd be more impactful if we run it at the time. Because what are going to do now? apologise for it. doesn't matter. It's long gone. We should be hearing this stuff regularly and talking about it regularly and when it when it comes up, I jungle lines correct, name the ref, name and shame them, talk about it, explain why. Let's see if there's other players who was in charge at the time. Um and look, I'm not suggesting me retroactively they threw every refereeing decision and decide what was biased and what wasn't, but it has to be an example that anything like that gets called out and called out clearly. You know that um, there's an sorry there was an example. Um so Amy Giddy was interviewed a while back. You remember yeah. on BBC and they asked me why I was booed at certain grounds. And he said, Well, you know why? You know why I get put in certain grounds. Just, you just won't say it, but you know why. And the, the interviewer who is well known to Celtic fans, you know, sort of, I can imagine, curled up his toes and shut his eyes and moved on with life. So, yeah, when you call these things out in the heartman, I'm glad he called it out. I'm glad they say on evidence, but 20 years too late, or 23 years too late, whatever it is.
2: When, when I put it out last night, oh, I never put it out. I just shared it, obviously, Lloyd, but um, that, was, that was a big. Criticism, I guess, uh, of uh, Stubbs is saying it. I mean, it's out there now and people can surmise and theorise as to who the referee is. Uh, I mean, all you'd need to do is look at every game Stubbs played against Rangers when there was a penalty shout. That we didn't get, mind you, that would be every game that Stubbs played against Rangers. And then look at the referees and, and try and you know figure out who it was. But what, what I find interesting about it is it's the cat's out the bag, and, and now we're discussing it. We're discussing it on here. There'll be discussions all over social media about it. Whether or not the mainstream has picked up on it, I don't know, because I've not had time to check that. Um but that that was the big criticism. Name the ref. And and why the other one was obviously why has he not said it before? I was chatting about it this morning and I think there's a few reasons for it if I'm going to be trying to defend Stubbsy. I'd done a gig with Stubbsy one time and this was quite a few years ago. Jim Ward was there. I can't remember where it was, but it was an Australian-themed bar in Glasgow. Walkabout, that's what it was called. Walkabout, right? I don't know if it's still there, Lloyd, but we have done this event and Stubbsy was one of the guys that was there and he was a very good speaker. Uh, had he been the Hibs manager at this point? I think he had been the Hibs manager at this point. So he'd had a bit of success. You know, and if he had told the story that night, obviously I'd have remembered it. I've never, certainly I've never heard the story, but I'm not sure if he has told the story, maybe at a live event, maybe during an interview where there's not been anything made of it, or if it's it's maybe not even been printed. But, you know, at the time, I don't think it would have been easy for him to get that out there, because, A, after the game, generally they'll speak to a player or two. At that point, is that the, the time to put it out? Possibly, but he might not have been interviewed. The Celtic View aren't going to run with the story, let's be honest. I mean, there's one thing about the View, it wasn't controversial in the 50-odd years that it was in publication, right? I mean, it was more or less our way of putting our news out there. Um, And I I know that when Jock Brown came in as a general manager, he he took a few things to task. He, He did take a few reporters to task and all that kind of stuff, you know, head first. But I just don't think that would have been Celtic style. So, in a way, I think to myself, he maybe has put it out there, but it's just never maybe got the traction. I don't know. I've certainly never seen it, Lloyd. But uh, I would rather not criticise that. I'd rather get to the bottom of it. But uh, do you think there would be? I mean, obviously, Crawford Allen wasn't the head of refs back then. He's not going to make a comment because it doesn't involve a marginal off offside decision, does it?
1: No, exactly. They'll all keep quiet about it. But what I found interesting as well when watching the clip is the reaction of the two, the other two presenters, on it as well That they seem shocked that these kind of things would happen know. well try, try and watch a Scottish game and you'll see why the way this is because the referees are just an absolute joke up here and we've seen it all throughout well I've seen in the last 20 odd years I've been watching Celtic the amount of decisions I mean we'll never forget up at Dundee United the penalty that wasn't and all these things and as Brian rightly said the Hugh Dallas was sending the emails and that so throughout history the proof's there the truth is, it so why has it not been called out now? Josh, why is it
3: not called out? Is not Codette Codette. out yeah, on the, elephant is the right. back of that, see, see if you're going to play double's advocate, right? What that does is it then makes every refereeing decision an anti Celtic one. So if it had been called out at the time, of the person named for which is obviously an act of corruption, it can be dealt with in that time and investigated. But when you say, you know, this is always happening it makes every referee now, even if they're no biased, seem biased.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: this conversation just escalates and snowballs now. So if in the game on Sunday there's a controversial decision and it doesn't go our way, it may be, you know, just a mistake. It may be something more sinister, but we know what we're going to assume because of these clips and because of that feeling. So that's why, you know, I don't see the point in calling it out now. You could have called it 20 or 20 or 20 it happened, it would be more effective. Um but I think anything like that, we always have to call it in action. And so have been quiet as well in the past and no really address things where it's been seems fairly apparent there's something amiss. And again, I'm always keen to say I don't I don't necessarily think every ref is, you know, corrupt and biased against us. I don't think that is the reality. I think there's a lot of unconscious bias and I think some refs are more fallible than others. Um, but what this does is it means it puts every pressure on now on referees and decisions and it's quite provoke reactions that to be disproportionate. So it's, it's not the greatest thing to come out with at this stage.
2: Two days before, or three days before the big game at Ibrox when there's no Celtic fans going to be there. You imagine the first time somebody gets pulled down in that box. That is going to be mayhem. Listen, um, that was tremendous to have John Gibbons on it, you know, just to get that insight. A guy that's watched our new signing um, since he broke into the Liverpool team. It uh, was brilliant to then pick his brains about trying to see how he's going to actually match into the Celtic side. So fantastic. And thank you to John for coming in. That was, uh, there you go. We've got Pete McGee's coming in saying excellent insight. Thanks very much to John at the Anfield Rap. If you're not aware of them, check them out. Fantastic channel. And as I say, a real inspiration to Axel because, uh, you know, they are the standard, they're the, the gold, they're the platinum standard. Of any kind of fan media organisation. I'm just going to ask you guys, right, before we go, give me a start in 11 because there's so many permutations now and yet there's so many things to consider. Do you throw in a new player, etc., etc.? Start with you, Lloyd. Give me a start 11 for Sunday. Uh,
1: it'll be Hart, Johnson, Lagerbelk, Phillips, Taylor, Awata, McGregor, O'Reilly, Abada, Kyogo, and Palmer. Okay.
3: On to you, Brian. Uh, so, fairly similar lineup, but I would change the formation. So, do a three-five-two. I don't think Brendan would do this, by the way, but this is what I would do if I was playing FIFA. Um, I'd go with so heart and goals, a back three of Johnson, uh, Phillips, Lagerbilt. Midfield five of Burnaby, because he's slightly better going forward, they can track back. Um, O'Reilly, McGregor, Iwata, Iwata Holden, and Yang outright. Again, because his defensive capabilities and Kielgorn made up front in the counter attack. Because if you look at how we just plays a diamond, we need to we could dominate that field as a five. The strikers up front we could handle as a three, and we can adapt. So we're under pressure. Meida can pull out. And track Tav, who's their best player probably or certainly most effective, um, and behind can cover. And he's a bit better than forward. So three five two. That's my team.
2: That is bold, Brian. That is bold. Now, uh, my team's far more similar to, to Lloyd, but I'd probably play Yang. I think I'd play Yang. Uh, and I know, for example, Maeda, uh, who you have no picked, but Maeda is very effective or has been against Rangers. I just don't think his form's that great at the moment. And I would try and cut down on the amount of players I'm just throwing right in, which is why I wouldn't play Palmer if indeed he's available but I would play Yang I just think on form I agree with Brian I think on form he's been he's been brilliant I mean he was a creative force really against St Johnson we're all going to agree disagree and everything else but you know what leave the comments underneath this video because that's what it's all about a wee bit of debate let's keep it nice and let's keep it focused and balanced we're all Celtic fans that's what it's all about I've got to thank every single one of you 1500 we hit on the live stream again on this Friday afternoon we're all buzzing there's loads happening Champions League transfers and a big derby On Sunday. Thanks everybody for getting involved. Thank you to John Gibbons who came in earlier on. Brian Degnan, Lloyd Patrick Jepsen for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. network